Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Head of Strength and Conditioning at the Singapore Sports Institute, Danny Lum. Thanks for tuning in to episode 332 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Danny Lum. And this episode came about through a recommendation from Alex Natera because there's been a distinct lack of information on isometric training on this podcast. And I wanted to put that right. And it's something that I've spoken to Alex about. And it's something that has cropped up a couple of times, but I wanted to dive really deep into that, into that area because it's been significantly lacking. And Danny is a perfect was a perfect candidate to uh, to fill that gap. Head of strength and conditioning at the Singapore Sports Institute, but is researching heavily in the area of isometric training. Alex and Danny know each other really well, given their common uh, common interests, and this episode definitely did not disappoint. So we start off by discussing why use isometric tests and what testing options we've got in the isometric realm. Then we have a little chat around links to dynamic performance, and then we dive into isometric training. So why program isometric training? And the checklists that Danny goes through when trying to get specific on creating exercises to fit, fit really specific positions in a, in a given sport. And if you look on his Twitter, he's, uh, there's some really good examples of that. Then we have a little chat around manipulating variables and how this alters outcomes. So a really interesting episode with Danny that I know you'll love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics, the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, 
head over to their website, imeasureyou.com, or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Danny Lum. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this morning, I am delighted to welcome Danny Lum. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Yeah, thanks a lot for the invitation. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you. It was a, a fantastic introduction and well-made introduction from Alex Natera, who speaks very highly of you. And if Alex speaks highly of someone, I'm in. I'm in. So I've, d- I've dug into your work and got some fantastic work going on. So it's a pleasure to have you. But any, anyone that doesn't know who you are, Danny, just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, uh, education-wise, and what you're doing in uh, Singapore. Okay. Um, um, so, Danny Lam, um, I'm the head of strength conditioning at the Singapore Sport Institute. Um, I'm currently also um, doing my PhD, and the my research topic is on um, isometric strength training for sports performance. Yeah, and, and that's why Alex is um, interested in my work because uh, we have common interests. In, yeah, um, yeah, and I've been at the I've been in this um, for about six, six, seven years now. And previously, I was um, the strength conditioning officer in the Singapore Armed Forces. So I was dealing with the military training. Yeah. And um, it took me five applications before I got into this job. Yeah. <laughs> um, something, something you've always wanted to do, get into the institute? Yeah, yeah. Um, I always want to like uh, work in the sports performance um, area, and and that was what started me on um, my sports science education. Yeah, uh, I did my I did my undergrad years in um, University of Western Australia, um, and then um, after I graduated, I came back here. Yeah, started work in the military, and um, after about two and a half years, um, finally got the job in Singapore Sport Institute. Brilliant. So, yeah. so why the University of Western Australia? Well, it was pretty random. Like, uh, we 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 had to serve um, two years of military. Um, uh, like we had the conscription. So during that period of time, um, I I didn't really know what to do after um after my military service because I was previously from um, engineering, chemical engineering, and I I didn't really like it. Um, um during my deploy studies um, in the polytechnic, I, I was uh, participating in karate. And um, my sensei talks a lot about um, sports science and I kind of got interested in it. Um, so when I was about to finish my service in the military, I sort of searched online to look for um, university that provided um, uh, sports science education. and. Um, a couple of university um, came up, and so I just tried to apply for them. Um, the first one that came back to me was UWA, and um, I, I didn't. I honestly, I didn't know which university was a good university, and so on. Um, I just okay. UWA came back to me first. I'll go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and so, that was so, yeah. So, what age did you do your conscription? Um, oh, let me see. I was about twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Very good. So good to get back home. Yeah, it was yeah. Different lifestyle, but um yeah, yeah I, I like it both. Um I like the different lifestyle in Australia and um in Singapore, but um yeah, it, it's much more familiar down here. So yeah. 
because because some of your research is in, is involved karate, hasn't it? Uh no, I had one um with judo. Okay, judo. Sorry, judo. yeah, 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 judo. Okay, what's the in in those kind of sports over there? What's the sport science provision like for them guys? Okay, uh, we we have um sixty four about sixty four national sport association, and every one of them it is um entitled to sport science service. Um, the most basic one is sports medicine and strength conditioning. So um if they uh request for it. Um, they will uh, receive the service and um, in order to get more services like the nutrition, psychology, physiology, biomech, um, we actually, they, this, these sports actually have to be at a higher tier. So um, we need to know that they have athletes with medal potential, at least in the region, um, Asian, uh, Asian region, uh, medal potential um, before they actually get to have this sports science service. Yeah. Um, we have in, in Singapore Sports Institute, we have um, strength, sports medicine, strength conditioning, uh, nutrition, sports uh, biomech, sports physiology, and sports psychology. And um, each of each team has an average of about five scientists. Okay. Interesting. And what's so are you allocated to a sport or are you? overseeing what's going on um each of us are allocated to multiple sports yeah um so for example myself i have about five to six sports at the moment to deal with um and we have kind of like we uh we tier them into cluster A, B, C, D, and so on. So each one of us has one or two higher cluster and um, some a few lower class of spots to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, the reason I wanted to get you on is to dive into your, your PhD stuff mm -hmm. and your, and obviously the work that's going on in with your with your sports that you're you're looking after. Yeah. But the main focus was isometrics, training and testing assessments. <laughs> yeah. So we'll dive into that straight away. So just to kind of set the scene and, and pre start off at a logical place and, and testing, so isometric testing. Mm -hmm. What options have we got when it comes to isometric testing? Because there's plenty of research out there with isometric mid-thigh pull mm -hmm. from the guys that, you, again, the guys that you've worked with in uh, Australia and America. But what other options have we got when it comes to isometric testing with our athletes? Uh, um, there are single joint isometric as well. Uh, you'll see people looking at um, um, the, mainly using the Biodex equipment for um, rotator calf, um, external and uh, internal rotation of the shoulder. Um, you get to do single joint um, leg extension, leg, uh, leg knee flexion isometrics as well. Uh, and then we have a multi-joint multi -joint exercise, uh, multi-joint isometric assessment like isometric squat, isometric mid-thigh pull, um, isometric bench press. And recently we um, we validated the isometric um, bench prone bench pool as well. Yeah, so these are some of the options we have. So, so why why would we go down that route in the first place with isometric testing versus something more dynamic? Okay, um, what what we can get the the information we can get out from isometric um, 
work includes not just the peak force, but also the rate of force development, as well as the uh, force epoch. And um, if we we combine the um, data data we get from counter movement jump and um, isometric mid thigh pull, for example, uh, we can actually calculate the um, dynamic strength index, which um, I believe many coaches are using it as an indicator of whether um, they should train their athlete more on the, um, with plyometrics or with heavy strength training. And advantage, some, some of the advantages, um, isometric, isometric strength assessment are much safer because so, there's, there's no movement involved, so you don't really get injured that easily. And it's pretty quick. Um, five seconds and you're done. Yeah, uh, the of course the the disadvantage is um at the moment you can't really use it for um exercise prescription for like um the one RM strength test. Yeah, uh, and um yeah, so these are some of the advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and what what links have we got to more dynamic? movements with our isometric testing? Um, yeah. Quite a lot of studies have um, shown that uh, the, the peak force and um, the real force development uh, are significantly correlated to activities like jumping, um, sprinting, even change of direction. Um, um, recent, and, and there are studies that looked at um, cycling as well, throwing, um, recently, we did uh, a study on um, endurance running and the spring kayaking. Spring kayaking, yeah. So, um, I I would believe I, I would want to think that um, the isometric strength assessment, uh, the, the data collected from this assessment, will have a higher correlation with um, activity that have. Um, that are mainly concentric contraction. So like um, cycling and um, um, spring kayaking. But um, the relationship with the, the um, dynamic um, activity that uh, requires the short stretch shortening cycle uh, with the eccentric and um, concentric phase, the relationship might not be as great. Yep. So, um, so if you look at the literature, um, take isometric mid-thigh pull and isometric squat, for example, the the relationship you get for from the peak force with counter-movement jump range from about zero, R equals 0 0.3, 0 0.4 to about 0 point, R equals 0 0.8. So the range is pretty huge. Um, reason could be, that 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 could be a lot of reason. It could be because of the familiarization. It could be um, different athlete with different um, training experience, um, different strength level, um, and also the uh, the the time of the year, the training phase that they are in. So um, this all this could have affected the relationship between the um, jump performance and the isometric. Um, strength uh, assessment yeah and another thing to to look at is um where the the joint position where the test is um conducted 
So for example, if you look at the literature, you'll see that um, isometric squat when tested at 90 degree knee angle versus 120 degree knee angle. Um, the relationship between the peak force obtained from um, knee angle at 90 degree will be higher, uh, sorry, relationship between the isometric peak force and counter movement jump height will be higher when the peak force was obtained from uh, a 90 degree knee angle. Same for um, sprint performance. So um, what, what we can get from this is probably if you want to conduct um, the isometric strength test to see if there's any relationship with certain activity, probably um, get the person to adopt a position, the knee, uh, the, the, sorry, the joint position whereby the concentric force is initiated. Yeah, so for example, if we go back to the counter movement jump again, um, usually counter movement jump, uh, concentric force is initiated at a position whereby the knee is about 90 degree. And that is probably why you see a higher correlation between a jump height and force obtained from um, a 90 degree knee angle. Yeah. But th that, there's something which, um, which is pretty interesting. That works for squat, but isometric mid-tie pull doesn't work that way. So the, you can see that isometric mid-tie pull is usually conducted in a knee angle of about 130 to 140 degree, yet the magnitude of the correlation with a counter-movement jump height is as high as that obtained for isometric squat at 90 degree knee angle. So yeah, this is something I personally do not understand. Okay. I think, yeah. <laughs> so some, uh, it, it could be the mechanic, uh, muscle activation and um, mechanics of the movement or something like that. But I think that uh, requires a little bit more study. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the dynamic strength index. Is that something you could just talk to us a little bit about? What is it? Why people would be interested in it? How we coaches are collecting it? Okay. Possible? Yep. Um, so dynamic strength index. Um, so what we do is First, we, we collect the um, max peak, peak, force of, uh, peak force from isometric mid-thigh pull. So theoretically, that is the highest amount of force your lower limb can produce, right? So then after that, you, um, you get someone to, to perform the counter-movement jump and you get the peak force obtained from the counter movement jump and you divide it by the peak force obtained from the isometric mid-side pool and you get a certain value. Um, and this value is the dynamic strength index. And um, so what it meant is um, the isometric force is the highest amount of force you can produce. And how much of this uh, force can you translate it into a, a dynamic movement? And so uh, that DS dynamic strength index provides you with an indication. So uh, if I can't really remember the exact number, I think it's if it's below 0 0.65. So if the dynamic strength index is below 0 0.65, it sort of indicates that um, your athlete might need a little more or um, ballistic 
training, like plyometrics. But if the the dynamic strength index is above um, 0 0.8, um, then, sorry, am I right? Yeah, if, if dynamic strength index is above 0 0.8, you probably, the athlete probably needs um, more heavyweight strength training. Interesting, cool. Well, just, just moving on from the, the testing side of things onto the, the training side of things. So isometric training as a, as a whole, as a modality, why would, why would people do that? What, what benefits are people going to get from isometric training? Then we'll dig a little bit deeper into, mm -hmm. into that topic as a whole. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, again, it is similar to the isometric test. Um, it's, it's simple. Um, the the risk of injury is very low. Um, you can see in in most of the injury rehab cases, um, people will start off with isometric training first. Yeah, get the muscles uh, activated, get the muscles working. Even when they are in the cast, um, the exercise physiology uh, would advise the 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 uh, patient to perform some form of isometric contraction so that the muscle is still working. Yeah. Um, so these are the advantages of um, isometric um, strength training. Uh, well, the of course, the disadvantage is um, people believe that uh, isometric strength training is uh, you, you only gain um, strength in that specific angle uh, specific joint angle that you train at. Um, of course, this is, uh, if you look at into the literature, this is not true. Uh, it really depends on um, uh, the joint angle. So for example, you position your joint angle uh, at, uh, I think the knee angle, for example, I position my knee angle at um, 90 degree and versus a knee angle at about 150 degree. So at 90 degree, my quadriceps will be stretched more as compared to at 150 degree. So if I train my um, quadriceps at knee angle of 90 degree, where it's stretched a little more, then the strength gain will, um, uh, will increase across a greater range of movement as compared to uh, uh, quadricep at a short length, which is 150 degree. So uh, based on literature, if you are training your muscle at a longer length of uh, using isometric strength training, then um, it might, the strength gain might range up to about 40 degree from the angle that you train at. But if say you train at a short muscle length, which is about 150 degree knee angle, then um, the strength increment might um, range between about 15 degree away from the uh, uh, angle you train at. Yeah. So when it comes to the, the actual adaptation we're getting from isometric training, how does that how does that differ with n removing the the eccentric and the, the concentric? Um, the the the. Okay, adaptation is pretty much similar. Yeah, like you, you still get um, strength increment, you still get um, um, increased uh, neuro firing, um, neuro recruitment, and um, 
high hypertrophy of um, uh, muscle. Um, one of the one of the adaptation that isometric is uh, isometric training um, is superior to dynamic movement is the increase in tendon stiffness. Yeah. I'm not too sure about the details like into the how the cell adapt and so on, but um, that uh, is report that the increase in tendon stiffness is one of the things that is reported in um, a few studies. Yeah. And um, the increase in tendon stiffness has um, uh, in high implication in rate of force development. So with um, greater tendon stiffness, the the force transmission from the muscle can be more efficient and hence um, improve the uh, force gener force production and rate of force development. Interesting. So th you put a, you put a video on on Twitter. I think it was last week of you working oh, with yeah. some cyclists in some in some quite specific positions for cycling. And I just want to chat a little bit around that, and it pretty ties mm -hmm. into some of the work that Alex is Alex is doing and has done in getting athletes in very sport specific positions and, and creating extra ex isometric exercises mm -hmm. within those what kind of process are you going through when you are thinking about integrating some of that into these specific positions for these different sports how are you creating them exercises what goes through your head at that point okay um two things so first I, I'm, I'm always looking at um where the First thing is where the concentric force of concentric action is initiated. So, um, and second is the um, position whereby it's, um, re it reflects the most biomechanically disadvantaged position. Yeah. So, like the sticking point of a squat, for example. Yeah. So, um, these are the two positions where that I usually get. Um, the athletes to adopt when performing the um, uh, isometric training. Yeah. So, so for a cyclist, for example, those that haven't seen the video that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I that you posted and I retweeted, mm -hmm. um, what will be the process for a, specifically for a cyclist? And you can you give us a paint a bit of a picture of what that looks like? Okay, so um, just imagine you're doing um, a split squat and you're doing a split squat and the you are you're trying to lift uh, the load, um, a loaded trap bar. And so what I did was I loaded loaded the trap bar with so much weight that the athlete could not lift it. Yeah. So uh, it is basically getting the athlete to perform the isometric um, split squat at the bottom range of the movement, and that kind of reflect. It, it, that was kind of similar to the position a cyclist adopts when he's on the bike. Yeah. So yeah. before they push down the pedal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there, there, there. Recently, there's this um study by uh Cordy, Cordy at all. Yeah, Cordy. I think his surname. Yeah, Cordy. Um, he actually what what he actually did was um he got this. Uh, cyclists to be on the bike and then um, they actually um, made sure that the pedal could not move and okay. they got yeah they got the, the cyclists to um, 
perform isometric contraction at that point. So it's, it, it was really a very specific position for the cyclists. And the, the, partic the participants are actually elite cyclists. So um, they actually showed that with that training, um, even an elite cyclist could um, improve their peak power. So is, is there any other examples of, of other sports that you're working with where you've done a, a similar thing and you've analyzed the movement, gone to where the concentric mm -hmm. disadvantaged position is and then um, create exercise around it? Yeah, um, I, we, we did with the um, carcass. So I, I have a study uh, which I did with the carcass. Um, what I did was I replaced like two sets of squat, two sets of bench press and two sets of bench pull with the isometric um, version of it. And the joint position they adopt was similar to the, the joint position where the pull phase of the kayak stroke was initiated. And um, what we found was uh, with by replacing two sets with isometric training as compared to a normal traditional strength training, um, the carcass strength actually increased and um, performance on the ergometer, um, 200 meter time trial on the car ergometer was um, improved um, more than the group that only did the um, uh, traditional strength training. Yeah. So what I believe was that um, because we, we, we got them to um, perform the isometric training at the position where the kayak stroke was initiated, um, that sort of increased their ability to overcome the initial um, uh, drag force that they, they would face, yeah. One interesting thing, that the, one, the, the studies that you've mentioned, the work that you've been doing with high-level athletes, is this applicable to, to lower-end athletes and maybe youth athletes to incorporate this this sort of training? I believe so, uh, because um, some of my participants for, for the kayak uh, study were were actually collegiate um, athletes, so they weren't um, they weren't training as much as the national team. And um, I also have one study that. I just did with um, recreational runners. So yeah, and uh, what, what we did was we compared um, plyometric and isometric training uh, for um, endurance running performance. Um, so the isometric condition did isometric mid-thigh pull and um, isometric plantar flex of the ankle. Yeah, so the ankle was uh, in a neutral position when they did the plantar flexion. So what we found was um, running economy was actually improved in the um, isometric group as compared to uh, the plyometric group. So um, one possible reason is because um, recreational runners um, tend to avoid heavy strength training. So um, with the isometric um, exercises as a stimulus that greatly improved their strength, yeah, but um, th those were recreational runners, so they weren't elite. So um, in that sense, uh, people might ask, would that work for the elite runners then? Yeah. That's the next project. 
Um, yeah, I'll probably have to. I'll probably have to work with someone on that. Uh, we need. We don't have that many elite runners in Singapore. Mm -hmm. So, so when it comes to the the programming of it within the wider um, program, annual plan, um, you know, Olympic cycle. Where, where where does that where does that fit? Is it um, is it the start? Is it is it towards the towards the end when you get a little bit more specific? Where does that where does it fit? Okay, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, honestly, I have no idea at okay. this point of time. Honestly, yeah. So I don't, I, I don't want to pretend that I know a lot. <laughs> yeah. So what, what personally, what I do with uh, my athletes is um, I would uh, slot in the isometric um, uh, in somewhere in in the middle of a strength phase because um, like. Uh, we know that if, if you've been training with the same method for a long time and uh, you, you tend to plateau for a period of time. So uh, with the addition of the isometric training for a few weeks, um, that might help to break the monot uh, monotony uh, and um, you might see some improvement. And then um, again, I don't know, at, at this point of time, uh, we don't know whether isometric, if I continuously get the person to um, perform the isometric, would there be a long-term benefit? Yeah, because all my studies have been um, only six weeks long. Yeah, but um, I will be working on that as um, sometime this year. And and the next thing I do well, is um, towards the, as, as we get closer to the, um, competition, I tend to um, get my athletes to perform uh, uh, complex training. And I usually uh, use the isometric work, uh, isometric exercise as the uh, conditioning activity to um, induce the uh, PAP effect before they move on to a, a ballistic exercise. Um, one reason is um, because um, they get to perform maximal contraction, so that helps to maintain their maximum strength. And because it's an isometric movement, um, we are reducing their risk of injury because it's close to competition. And that is uh, why I would opt for isometric work at, um, during that period. Yeah. What's, what's the athlete feedback? been like as you've introduced isometric training for the first time is that something that's obviously it's going to be something that's novel for these athletes but is it something that they enjoy well most of them didn't like it yeah okay <laughs> they, they they like the they like the outcome um yeah. But they, yeah they like the outcome of it uh they feel them uh, like after a few weeks they got stronger but when they're doing it they really didn't like it yeah but they like the outcome yeah <laughs> So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Danny. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we continue our move towards programming isometric training and manipulating the variables that alter the outcomes when we do program isometrics. So intensity, duration and rate of contraction, joint angles, etc., etc. Then comparing isometrics to other methods. So really interesting part two coming up with Danny. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Output Sports, the Swiss army knife for athlete performance. 
So to celebrate their first year in business, after eight years of research, Output have just launched a Black Friday sale. So for the first 25 Pacey Performance listeners and followers, to use the code PACEY25, you can subscribe to their bronze package with a 25% discount until December the 1st, 2020. This will get you access to an output IMU, all their measurement modules, VBT, power, wellness, RSI, Nordics, strength endurance, mobility, and more, plus access to their AMS, the output hub. So check it out today to bring a new level of portability, practicality, and efficiency to your athletes' testing and tracking processes. So you can learn more about output on outputsports.com or follow them on social media. This episode of the Pacer Performance Podcast is sponsored by athletemonitoring.com, the world's most comprehensive, versatile, and cost-effective athlete health and performance management platform for elite sports. So athletemonitoring.com is trusted by top development programs, universities, professional teams, Olympic programs, national sports organizations, and research institutes worldwide. It streamlines data collection, centralizes the management of wellness, training and performance, medical and testing, and administrative data. It also simplifies the interpretation with best practice analytics and evidence-based methods to optimize performance and reduce injury risk. So with all these features on a single platform, athletemonitoring.com seamlessly brings key stakeholders together to build healthier athletes, more efficient organizations, and long-lasting successes. To see what athletemonitoring.com can do for you, visit athletemonitoring.com and schedule a free demo, or follow them on Twitter at athletemonitor. This episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave, which is the only non-invasive, at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. So using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. OmegaWave also measures ECG from the V6 position, and this data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement only takes four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our Windows of Trainability concept. OmegaWave is used by hundreds of elite sport athletes, military and law enforcement agencies. They're also an official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. So to learn more about Omega Wave, visit their website, omegawave.com, or visit their social media channels. So when it comes to looking at different physical qualities, is it possible to manipulate certain variables within the isometric modality to, to, to target certain physical qualities, strength, hypertrophy, etc.? Okay. All right. Um, so if you look into rec- recent research, they, they uh, actually categorize isometric training into two different methods, the um, overcoming and the yielding. Um, overcoming is um, uh, the method that I've been researching. So you push, you, you push maximally against something you can't move. And the other one is the yielding method or the holding method, uh, whereby um, you actually leave a certain a load that you can actually lift, like, and then uh, bench press, for example, you lift um, probably maybe about 60 to 80% of your one RM, and then you get to the sticking point. You hold it there um, for 
10 seconds on slow before you um, push it concentrically. So um, that's the two different methods. Um, <clears throat> if you look at the literature on isometric strength training, um, the to, to get maximal strength increment, um, you want to be contracting at as near to maximum voluntary contraction as possible. So uh, in the range of 80 to 100% um, maximum voluntary contraction. And um, each contraction, you probably don't want to um, be holding for too long. Otherwise, um, it might compromise the adaptation. Um, when it comes to, uh, if you're talking about hypertrophy, um, you, you want to perform the isometric contraction at a lower intensity and um, actually sustain the contraction for a longer period of time, as long as um, 30 seconds, 10 to 30 seconds at one go. Yeah. And so, so yeah, you, you have to use a much lighter load. Um, recently, there are, there, there, there is, um, there's one study that actually showed that isometric training might, um, the inclusion of isometric training might, um, might uh, be able to uh, might be able to induce a stimulus similar to blood flow restriction okay. training. Yeah. So when you're sustaining the isometric contraction, you're actually restricting the blood flow. So um, what um, there's this study by Brad Schoenfield. He what they did was um, they got the the participants to perform. Um, strength training and in between sets, they got them to just contract the muscle isometrically. And what they found was this actually um, increased the hypertrophy effect. So one of the things that um, people can do um, uh, for during the hypertrophy phase would be include a set probably towards the end of the 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 the. For example, they have four sets of bench press. Um, they, they might be able to do one uh, at the fourth set with a lighter load and um, adding a, a long duration isometric contraction at the sticking point. On, yeah. So that so might you, help with the, yeah. So, so using that method where, you, where you're holding that sticking point would be more appropriate for someone that's chasing hypertrophy versus strength yeah i would believe so yeah yeah because um like i mentioned the, when when we look at the strength you want to be um exerting much higher amount of force and um, you probably won't be sustaining the contraction for uh, a long duration so you've mentioned a few variables that we can manipulate here we've, we've talked about joint angles and duration what what is the what is the list of things that that we can manipulate to get the outcome that we want with isometric training? Okay, um, yeah, first of all, you definitely need to know what you, you want to achieve. Um, and um, uh, then from there, we'll, we, we'll okay, sorry, let, let, let's right. go. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, first of all, we need to know what we, we, we want to achieve. Uh, before we start talking about manipulating the variables. Uh, variables that we can manipulate is the um, joint position. So um, 
I mentioned earlier that if we train at a joint position that um, induces a longer muscle length, your strength improvement will, uh, will, will be greater throughout a greater range of movement. Um, but of course, um, the, if you perform for the purpose of hypertrophy, um, that will also give you a different uh, effect because um, at different joint position, you might induce hypertrophy at um, different parts of the muscle. So, for example, um, for example, if if I was um, sustaining isometric contraction at a long muscle length, um, my most of the hypertrophy might take place at the middle of the muscle belly, midsection. Um, if I perform it um, at a shorter muscle length, um, it might most of the hypertrophy might occur either at the proximal or at the distal portion of the muscle. Yeah. So uh, these are things that um, uh, people will need to consider. And um, again, um, strength-wise, you want to um, contract as at a high intensity. And um, to, for, to increase rate of force development, um, you want to contract at a high intensity. Uh, contraction uh, speed. So uh, contract ballistically, explosively, um, as compared to a ramp up uh, method. Yeah. Is there, is there any time where that would be more appropriate? Um, I mean, if we are talking about sports performance, um, you, you should always try to contract explosively. Because um, in sports performance, we, we're not just talking about how strong you are, but we, we also need to make sure the athlete can produce the force as quickly as possible. Yeah. Is, is there any, again, is there any potential benefit from aiming for a certain percentage of a maximal voluntary contraction? Mm, well, more control. I think about more con like control. Yeah. First of all, you you probably need to have a uh, a a device to measure that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so course. yeah, that's that's a cost issue there. Uh, well, if uh, I'm not too sure actually, but um, if if we are looking at um trying to increase the maximum strength, then um, I I would think that we should just try to um, contract maximally and um. Probably what we can do is manipulate the the the, the time under tension. So um, we 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 had one study whereby we compared a one second contraction um, with a three second contraction. Um, what we found was that um, the rate of force development um, was slightly the adaptation for the rate of force development was slightly higher um, in the one contraction group, but um, overall. Um, dynamic performance like uh, jump, sprinting, and um, strength was actually higher in the uh, uh, three seconds group. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what, also, what, what was, yeah. Oh, go on, sorry. Go on. No, go on. Yeah. Um, one, one, one of the one of the um, limitations to that was um, the three second group was actually working at uh, higher training volume as well, because uh, one second was um, ten times one second contraction per set and uh, but the three seconds group was five times 
three seconds per set, and that is about fifty seconds. Ah, oh, sorry, five seconds or fifty percent difference in training volume. Um, so uh, that was one of the limitations of this study. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there anything? I mean, you've mentioned a few times, which is which is humble of you that you that you say you don't know certain things about isometric training. But is there any big gaps that we really don't know that you and potentially other people are looking to to plug in the research? Okay. Um, first, it's the um, long muscle length. So training at long muscle length versus multiple joint angle. Yep. I mentioned that if you train at long, longer muscle length, the strength gain will be higher through a greater range of movement. Um, but if we actually train at multiple angle, it, it, it might actually um, be more beneficial. Um, but then again, if we do that, if we do that, so for example, I'm going to train, do a bench press at um, 90 degree elbow angle, and that induces a uh, long muscle length for the pecs. And that would be three sets of 90 degree angle. Right? And then if I do compare it to uh, uh, multiple, multiple joint angle protocol, then I'll probably have to do one set at the bottom range, one set at 90 degree, and one set at um, 120 degree, for example. Um, so uh, we, what we might see is that, uh, based on what I, I'm hypothesizing right now, we might see a greater gain in 90 degree angle, strength gain and 90 degree angle for um, the, the, the single joint angle group. But um, when it comes to uh, the strength gain at other joint angle, we will see it higher at the three uh, joint angle group. But um, yeah, that's that's something we need to um, further study. Like yeah, right now there isn't um, any. Uh, there there was only one study that that compared a single joint exercise, um, but they didn't see any significant difference. Yeah, and that was the one one and only study I saw. Yeah, and when- yeah. Go on, Danny. Carry on. Yeah. I'm interrupting uh, you again. Sorry. The the other the other limitation I would say um is how long can this um, beneficial effect last? So um like I said, most of my all, all my studies are actually only six weeks long. Um, is there any is there going to be beneficial effect if I have that isometric training for a six months period? Yeah. So this is something um we need to look at, and the other one is um comparing the training effect of a yielding method and a pushing method. So um, in in the recent study, they actually um, uh, mentioned that the pushing method is like a, a concentric contraction, while the yielding method is more similar to an eccentric contraction method, uh, eccentric contraction. So um, if we have um, someone conducting the study, um, what we can do is getting someone to push against um, something with 80%, like for example, 80% of MVC and the other guy resisting with 80% of MVC. And then we take a look at um, what's the difference in um, adaptation. Yeah, so this is another gap in the current literature. Mm-hmm. 
so so when you're when you're programming isometrics is is so take a squat for example mm -hmm. would you completely remove the traditional squatting movement to re be 100 percent replaced with an isometric um exercise in that instance or would there be a constant stream of of the more traditional movement of a squat um no i'll i'll probably just replace certain number of sets so for example if i'm, I'm doing gonna get the person to do back squat uh, four sets of it i might have him do two sets dynamic two sets isometric um one reason is because um the uh isometric is compared to dynamic isometric is better at um improving uh the force production at a, a specific joint angle. So um, I would want the, but when it comes to a full range of movement, although if you work at a uh, long muscle length, uh, it can increase strength at throughout the greater range of movement, but this effect is still not as good as a dynamic um, strength training. So I wouldn't um, use isometric training as the main bulk of the training, but um, I would recommend using isometric training as a supplement to um, improve the the force production at the sticking point or at the um, biomechanically disadvantaged position. Yeah, is it, I mean in that example there, I know it was just a, a hypothetical four sets and it's two sets of one, two sets of another. Yeah. But is there any specific scenarios where that that ratio would change? So more isometric or, or less isometric? Yep. Um, so like complex, if I do it in a complex training setting, for example, it's the, pretty much the same number of sets. But um, what I would do if, if my isometric, isometric exercise is meant to be, uh, 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 what's it called? A conditioning activity for potentiation, then um, the number of repetitions will be reduced because um, what I want is that stimulus to maintain the uh, maximum strength and the stimulus to um, induce a potentiation effect rather than trying to get them to be too fatigued. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, I have not actually um, done a study to compare the like uh, how many sets is ideal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Just one one last question. It's it's based on some of Alex's work, and he mentions quasi isometrics. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you could just explain for us? Because if people are going to listen, if people listen to this and do some digging into isometrics and come across Alex's Alex's stuff, that's something that he describes. How does that differ to what we've spoken about? Okay. Um. I think. Um, the hamstring, for example. So hamstring is a biarticular muscle. Um, so when um, we, are, we are running, when we are running, um, when the hip is flexing, the proximal portion of the hamstring is um, stretching. But when the hip is flexing, the knee will be flexing as well. So the distal portion of the hamstring will be shortening so in that sense um one is length one portion is lengthening and the other portion is strengthened uh is shortening so that 
pretty much looks like uh, an isometric contraction. So that is what it means by uh, quasi-isometric. Okay. So it's creating, creating exercises which mimic that, basically. Yeah. So for example, um, I think Alex has a, a, a video of someone doing uh, a, like a hip thrust exercise. It's like a hip thrust exercise, but the knee is um, slightly more extended, some somewhere in in the um, 150 degree knee angle position. So um, the when when you do that, so you have your shoulder on shoulders and your um, heel on the platform. So your hip is kind of in the air. Uh -huh. When you do that. Um, the hamstring closer to the knee, hamstring closer to the knee, um, will kind of be trying to produce a, a concentric contraction so that you can stay up. While there is, because your hip is heavy, gravity will be pulling it down. Then your the proximal portion of the hamstring will be kind of in a, a eccentric contraction so the distal portion will be in the um, push isometric action while the proximal portion of the hamstring will be uh, performing a yielding isometric contraction yeah so that is the uh, quasi isometric training I hope I get it right, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's been it's been great to, to chat to you, Danny. I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to let you go. But wh where can people dig a little bit deeper into your work, into your research? Where's the best Where's the best well, place for people to um, get access? Uh, they can look at ResearchGate. Um, so ResearchGate, I, I just look for Danny Lum. Um, well, I'm on Twitter as well, Danny Lum it too. So um, tend to post whatever new work I have on these two platforms yeah superb well thank you very much for coming on i really do appreciate it and giving up some of your uh, some of your afternoon to have a chat mm. thank you very much we'll keep keep in touch because i'm super interested in this and see to see where it goes and see your yep. work develop and whatnot Th thanks a lot thanks a lot for the invitation and the opportunity to um showcase our work yeah it's, pleasure yeah stick around we'll have a little chat but thank you yep. very much danny appreciate it hey, thank you bye bye, bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 332 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I was absolutely delighted to get Danny on for this episode. And big thanks to Alex Natera for lining this up. Just a reminder, I have an isometric training mastermind coming up in the next couple of weeks with Alex, with Danny, and with Matt Taberner. So coming from a practical point of view, a research point of view, and then a rehab as well with Matt. So really, really cool event coming up and check that out on the website. Also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Athlete Monitoring, Omega Wave, and Output Sports for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really, really do appreciate their support. So we've got some cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks with a part two, a part one and two with a, with a guest coming up, which is absolutely superb as well. So keep checking out the Pace Performance Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on your chosen podcast player, and I will speak to you next week.